Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. Well, I'm glad to kick off another year with you here at Evangel Church. We're so glad for the things that God has in store for 2017. For some of you, this is the first service of the year that you're joining us for, and we're glad and we celebrate that you're here with us today. Uh, but for others, you were a part of uh, last week's service. We had one big combined service to rock in the new year. Let me see your hands. Who, were, who was here last week? What a great way for us to kick off the year, right? And how about how many of you were a part of Christmas at Evangel? Let me see your hands. You're at one of our Christmas Eve or Christmas services. Wow, there's still a lot of you that weren't there. Man, you got to come on out. We had a ton of people that came out. It was an incredible time. Uh, the choir and the worship team sounded great. And uh, most importantly, the thing that we're celebrating above everything else is we saw right around 60 people give their lives to Jesus during our Christmas season. And uh, my prayer was, Lord, may more people come to you this Christmas than even last Easter. And we saw that. We saw more people come to Christ this Christmas than even our last Easter, when that's normally our record attendance uh, each year. So a lot of things to be excited about and to give God the praise for, for what he's doing. But here's what I know. Uh, all the things that we celebrate from 2016 and in the weeks ahead, we're going to celebrate a lot of great things that God has done. 2016 was a great year uh, when it comes to the work and the ministry of what God did through Change Lives, Change lives here at Evangel Church. But here's what I know, that I believe God has something even greater in store for 2017. And I know that that's not just wishful thinking. We can sense it. We know and, and just trust that God is on the move and he's preparing and been building up for something. And so as a church, we believe God has something special and greater in store. We want a greater than 2017 that's greater than the year before in any other year. But in your life too, I'm sure that as you look at any year that's ahead of you, you don't say this, oh, Lord, last year was so great. Please, I just, just dial it back a little bit this year. Just take it down a notch. I, I, it, please don't make it any better than it already is. We're never praying that prayer, are we? Are you? Uh, uh, no, you're not, right? Um, we're normally saying, Lord, may this year be greater than the year before. May this day be greater than the day before. May my life be greater than it was before. And so we're always looking and searching for that greater than. And that's what this series of messages we're going to spend the rest of January exploring. How can we experience that greater than life that Jesus promises, that even he speaks of in his word in John chapter 14? But Lord, how can we experience this year being greater than any other year of our lives. And when we set out in a new year, we're normally setting out with some new goals or priorities or resolutions. And with those, the goal is greater normally. It's it, that we're greater. Uh, we don't want our waistline to become greater or, uh, or the scale to become greater uh, or our debt to become greater. We want our finances to become greater, our fitness to become greater, our health to become greater. Uh, we're looking for that greater than. Aren't we always longing to experience something more? We're, we're kind of hardwired for pursuit of greater, whatever that is. And for you, you'd say, you know, my prayer in 2017 is this area of my life would be greater than this. Some of you have been longing your whole life. You've been working in the job that you've been doing. You've set your career trajectory in such a way because you want your life to be greater than something, uh, you, greater than maybe what your parents uh, you saw and experienced growing up. But we're many times, we're hardwired for greater. We want to experience something better than it was before. And so we look for greatness in so many different places. And we look to the world sometimes to define what greatness really looks like. What does greater than really mean? 
And so I want to challenge us today because I think if we're taking the world's definition, we may be missing it. And each year, if you set out and you set your priorities and goals and, and it's achieving greatness or greater than in some realm of your life, um, if that is not informed by God's word, you may be missing the mark. And so we look to God's word and we say, Lord, I want to define it the way you would define it. I know how the world defines it. You know what it is? Whoever has the most money, whoever's more comfortable, whoever has more friends, that's, that's what greatness really looks like. No, that's not the way God's word defines it, as we'll soon find out in his word. So let's uh, turn together in God's word to Matthew chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. I hear like a, a, a little something in the sound here. I don't know if I'm the only one picking up on it. Great. I was like, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Great. Matthew chapter 20. Lord, speak through your word today. Lord, show us how we can have a life and experience one that is greater than what we've ever experienced before. So Lord, we give that to you right now and we ask you to come and to have your way. Amen. So as we come to Matthew chapter 20, we're stepping into a story here. It's a story that is unfolding with Jesus, his 12 disciples. These are the people that have really given up their jobs, their careers, their lives, and they've followed Jesus. They're all in. They're all in, and they're ready to follow him. Wherever he goes, they're going to follow. And so they've given their lives to, to, to follow him, and they left behind their families. But when we show up here in Matthew chapter 20, um, two of the followers of Jesus, James and John— uh, their mother shows up on the scene. And I don't know about you, but if, uh, if your mom shows up at work and wants to talk to your boss, that's probably going to get a little bit awkward, I'm sure. Uh, you know, and so this kind of should raise some eyebrows. You're thinking, okay, um, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus. And so this is kind of all what sets the scene for what comes next. She shows up and she wants to talk to Jesus. And so verse 20, here's what it says. The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. And she knelt respectfully to ask for a favor. So she's coming to Jesus, the one whom her sons is follow, he, they're following after Jesus as a disciple. And Jesus sees that she wants to ask him for a favor. So he says in verse 21, what is your request, he asked. And here's what their mother says. In your kingdom, will you please let my son sit in the places of honor next to you? One at your right hand and the other one at your left hand. See, she had a desire for her children. And, you know, some of you, you have moms like this, right? They would be very willing to show up and say, hey, why didn't Todd get the promotion? You say, mom... <laughs> Why are you here, right? I know you could have a mom that shows up at school. You get in trouble and you're like, mom's there and, or dad's there. And you're like, oh, no. Uh, I mean, I just picture this moment where she comes and she wants to talk to Jesus. And she's like, hey, Jesus, you see all these other followers? Will you give my sons the prime spot in your kingdom? Can they be at your left hand and at your right hand? Can be, they be in the places of honor, the places of greatest status? For her, and in her mind, she measured greatness the way that so many people do. And we all long for this. We want this for our children. We want this for our own lives. I know secretly we all can desire, whether you'd admit it or not, that, you know, we'd like something greater. We'd like to experience that. Um, I think about it in this way. You know, if you're at an airport, you would love for your name to come up on the uh, loudspeaker, to be called up to that front desk, and them to say, oh, Mr. Smith. 
we're so glad that you're here. We would love to give you a first-class seat um, instead of your coach seat. Someone's like, I'm claiming that in Jesus' name right now. There it is. We want that, right? We would not, we would not shy away. We want to show up at a, at a restaurant. Oh, oh, Mr. Jones, we're so glad that you're here. Here, we have the best table for you. Hey, do you have, what's the wait? Two hours. Oh, you're Mr. Oh, come on forward right to the front of the line. We got a great table for you, free appetizers. You know, like that would like make you feel so good. There's those times where you feel like that's incredible. Um, other people may not think that's so incredible if they're the ones waiting. My wife, uh, Mandy, she had traveled on a lot of missions trips when she was in her uh, teenage years and, and in her life. She's been overseas to many different parts of the world. And one of the trips she took was a trip to Thailand. And it was a long flight. And on the way home, they're sitting in the airport, and they call her up, and they call one other teenager up, and they said, hey, because your parents have these special uh, statuses with the airline, we're going to upgrade both of your seats to first class for like the 15-hour flight. Now, how do you think that made my wife feel? How do you think that made the rest of the youth group feel? Uh, yeah, you know, so you could see some grumbling would take place sometimes when this happened, but we all long for that. We all long to be, uh, you know, feel those upgrades, to feel that place where, where kind of our status is recognized, where our merits and our achievements are recognized, where we're praised for what we've done. That's like hardwired into us. We, we look for that. We long for that in many ways, but, but there are times that we can start to reach for it, and it can become something that holds us back. Um, so long for a status is something that we often like, but other people can... Again, it can become competitive. If you look in verse 20, uh, let's look here in verse 23 at what Jesus says to them. He says, you have no idea. Uh, verse 22, Jesus is speaking back to them. And here's what he says. You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink from? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. You see, Jesus hears the question, but they really have no idea the question that's being asked. Mother says this, when you come into the fullness of your kingdom, when you reach the place that we expect you to be reaching, and they were expecting Jesus to be sitting on a throne very shortly. They were like, you're coming, you're talking about the kingdom, you're establishing your kingdom. When you're there, when you're at the fullness of it, can they sit at your right hand and at your left hand? Jesus said, you have no idea what you're really asking me. They had no idea. Do you know who would be at Jesus' right hand and left hand when he entered into the fullness of what, he was, what was waiting for him? They were two criminals on crosses. That's who was on the left and on the right of Jesus. He said, are you really ready to drink of the bitter cup that I'm about to drink from? It's the cup that Jesus spoke to the Father about when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed. He said, Father, if there's any way for this bitter cup, this cup to pass from me, let it be so. But not my will, but your will be done. He humbled himself in that moment. Jesus is asking him, he said, you don't understand what you're really asking for. Are you really willing to taste of that kind of suffering? They said they were, but you know what? History shows us they weren't because at the foot of the cross during that time, his disciples fleed. Not only were they not willing to go to those crosses, they weren't even willing to be standing near them. There are times in life when we're asking God for something, the thing that we think is what we want the most. And you know what I believe his answer some is, do you really understand what you're asking me for? Do you really understand what it is that you're asking me for? Are you really ready for the journey that's going to get you there? You know, there's a greater than place that I believe God has prepare, prepared for us and preparing us for. 
But, you know, we want to know all about how he's prepared it for us, but we don't ever want to come under how he wants to prepare us for that place, the place that's greater than. And I just know that the place that is greater than, to get there, you normally have to go through a valley of suffering and sacrifice and serving. There are things that could humble you and even humiliate you. You could feel pressed on every side. And oftentimes, we're unwilling to go through the valley, and so we never reach the place he's prepared for us because we haven't allowed him to prepare us for it. And so with that, whenever we think about this idea, we can often ask those questions of the Lord. Lord, can we have this? And it's like you don't understand what you are asking for. Here's what Jesus says in verse 23. He said, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say if you're going to sit on the right or on the left. The Father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. What Jesus then speaks is he speaks a prophetic word, a word about what's going to happen in the future. Jesus knows them. He says, you know what? In fact, you are going to drink from that bitter cup one day. It won't be on the day that Jesus died for our sins, but by the end of their lives, both of these men, they lost their lives as martyrs. They gave up their lives in service to the Lord. Some of those disciples that stood with Jesus were crucified. They, they died for their faith. Jesus said, so one day you will. And so verse 24 says the ten other disciples had heard what James and John had asked, and they became indignant. They became frustrated that this was being asked, and there's kind of this pecking order. There's this clawing for honor and status and, and to get ahead and greatness and, and to be greater than the others. That's really what's being asked here is we want to be greater than them. So they become frustrated with this. And Jesus then begins to address it. He begins to speak directly to it. And here's what he says in verse 25. He calls the disciples together and he, he said to them, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people. They rule their, they lord over their rule, their influence, their power. And the officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. Jesus said, this is just the way of the world. This is the way the world is ordered. That there are different classes and different people and those that are in power and those that are in the higher classes and those that are in the upper echelon, they, they lord it over others. They, they look down on others. And you'd see in that day, you have those that are officials. You have those that are nobles. You have those that are leaders in high places. And then you have a common person. And then you have those that are in the lower class. And then you have those that are even below that that are in the servant class or even below that in the slave class. So there are many different classes. And Jesus said, this is the way of the world. That those that are in higher places look down on those that are in lower places and lord it over them. And, and, he's, and he says, this is just the way things are. And this is the way of the world. This wasn't just the way of the world back then, but it's the way that the world operates today. Could you agree with me on that? Do you see it? It happens. It's, it's happening all around us. Here's what I would say the way of the world is, is that your status determines how you will be served, right? Your status determines how you will be served. So who you are determines how you're going to be served by others and what that really looks like. And I see a great example of this in one of my, uh, my best friends in the world. His name is Sean. Sean is someone um, who I grew up to as next-door neighbors for most of our lives. Both of us grew up not believing in God. We were atheists. Um, and 
right around 15, going on 16, for me, I had a radical encounter where my life was never the same. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and everything I saw in God's word became true in my life. I, I was saved. I put my faith in him. My whole life turned around. My parents, my family, they recognized something that was dramatically different about me. So did some of my other friends, and the first person that put their faith in Jesus after I did was Sean, my next-door neighbor. And I'm so thankful today to watch how our journey has unfolded. We went to college together. And today, as I stand here in this pulpit sharing of God's word in New Jersey, Sean's down in Virginia, pastor at another church. They're a great church that's doing some amazing things. And, and uh, we talked as early as early this morning over text. But to see how God has woven our stories together is incredible. Well, Sean and his wife, Carly, they're expecting the birth of their first child. His name is Judah. And uh, it's going to be next month, uh, Valentine's Day baby. We're excited for them. And uh, as a part of that preparation time, Sean came up to New Jersey in this area to have a baby moon. You guys know what a baby moon is? It's a time where sometimes some of you are like, oh, I didn't have baby moons. They didn't exist back whenever I was. Uh, that's something people do at times. They want to get away on a vacation or a getaway. So Sean took his wife Carly here to this area for their baby moon. And they stayed near us and came to a church service here with us. And then they wanted to spend a few days up in New York City. They wanted to catch a few Broadway shows. So they, uh, they caught a few shows. They found some good deals on tickets. And then Sean asked me the question. He said, um, can you get me the hookup with any Hamilton tickets, please? I said, oh, yeah, I got like 20 tickets here for you. No. I was like, no way. Uh, no way. No one's getting tickets to that. Well, they were up there on the Tuesday that they're in town a couple months ago, and there was a line. And there was a line of people that were waiting because they were giving out tickets to Hamilton. And I guess at different times they'll give out these tickets, and, and uh, if there are you know, enough free seats, they'll, they'll let people in. So they decide, hey, come on. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Let's get in line. Let's wait. Well, they're waiting in line, and the, the line starts moving. They start letting people in. So they let some people in and continue to let people in. Before long, Sean and Carly are the next people about to go in. And they're standing there, and then they're like, all right, come on in. And then in a moment, they get the call on the headset, and they put their arm in front of Sean and Carly. They said, hold on. He's here? We're sorry. Someone has come, and we have to give them your tickets. And so... <laughs> I couldn't remember who it was, so I reached out to Sean really this morning. I said, just remind me so I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, who was it that was greater than you? He said it was Joe Girardi, the manager of the New York Yankees. <laughs> and his wife showed up. And uh, they didn't wait in line. And they weren't there, and they didn't pay for them, but they showed up, and they were greater than Sean and Carly, and so they got the tickets. So uh, that's a great story that Sean gets to tell, and he's still, from what I could tell early this morning, he's still pretty upset about it. Um, but you know what happened? Your status determines how you're going to be served. And you know what they said? They said, Sean, we don't care how many people came to Christ uh, or any of the things that you have to tell me. Um, come on in, Joe. <laughs> you guys get the prime seats. Like, that, that's how it works, isn't it, in this world? Isn't that how it works? Like, your status determines how you're going to be served, and that's the way that Jesus said, this is how the world functions. And they would say, yes, we get it. That's exactly how the world functions. But then Jesus said four words that changes everything. He said, this is the way the world works. But look what he says in verse 26. He says, not so with you. For everyone that follows Jesus, this is the way the world works. And you're in the world, but you're not of the world. So it's not so with you. See, oftentimes what we see is the way that the world has become set up, the way that the world functions, when we look to Jesus, he's normally showing us there's a greater way. 
There's a way to live that's greater than the way of this world. There's a life that I have for you that is greater than your old life. There's a way of living that's greater than the way that this world calls you and tells you to live. And what he does, he flips it normally right on its head. It's what you would least expect. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing for his followers. And these words are not just for 12 people 2,000 years ago. Who are they for? They're for you and they're for me, right? He said, not so with you. You need to look in the mirror and say, not so with you. <laughs> right at yourself, right? Not so with me. This isn't the way that we're called to live. Look what it says in verse 25. Or, I'm sorry, in verse 26. It says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. He says, this is the way that the world works, but this is the way that the kingdom works. This is a way that's greater than the way of this world. He said, whoever wants to be greater than among you has to be willing to become a servant and serve others. And whoever wants to become first and the greatest, he must be willing to become a slave. I told you there were different classes in this time, and one of those classes was a servant class, but even below the servant class was the slave class. There are two Greek words that are used here, uh, one for servant and one for slave. The word for slave is doulos, uh, doyos, and, and that is, uh, means slave, but there's a different word for servant, and that word is diknos. Deaconos in the Greek is the word that we actually take from to get the word deacon. Uh, and deacon is an office in the church that we see show up in Acts chapter 6. You see, as the church is being founded and as the ministry is unfolding, there are those that are leading in the church that are committed to prayer and to the ministry of the word, sharing uh, in those ways and ministering in those ways. And then there were some disputes around how people were being served and how the administration of the church would continue to unfold. And they said, instead of us pulling away from the ministry of the word and prayer, we must raise up and have God raise up people in the body that are full of the Holy Spirit and will take on that form of a servant. They'll be willing to serve the body and serve the needs of the people and serve the Lord with their lives. And so we see now that's what's carried over over the centuries is we have those that God is still raising up to serve the body and to serve the needs of the flock and to serve the Lord ultimately. It's those that have the heart of a servant. Exactly what Jesus said. Amen. And so I'm so thankful that over our history We've had those that have continued to serve with that same heart, with that same love, and serve to fulfill what Jesus said. If we want to be great, it's not about status. It's not about any of it. It's about having the heart of a servant. And I'm thankful that we have men and women each year that serve our body um, and serve as deacons. And we have others that also serve as elders. And elders come around the senior pastor and, and, our, and our leadership as spiritual advisors, to, and they help in the ministry as well, where they minister to the needs of the body in prayer and in other capacities as well. Um, in 2016, and long before, we've had many that have served the Lord so faithfully in those positions. And would you take a moment to just show your appreciation for those that have served us in those ways, and we're so thankful for them and for their continued uh, ministry and love for the Lord. But we also have those each new year that will step up and serve. And we have, in 2017, our deacons and our elders that are now going to be serving us and serving the Lord in that way. And really, 
taking and putting skin to exactly what God's word calls us to. And so I'm going to invite those that are our deacons and those that are our elders. That right now, if you're here in the room, would you just stand to your feet? And, uh, and if you're serving right now currently in 2017 as one of our deacons and one of our elders, would you stand to your feet? And church, would you show your appreciation to them? So while you're standing, just remain standing for a moment. What we're going to do to begin the year is we pray over our deacons, and we're going to pray over our elders as well, to just pray God's blessing on them, that God would continue to anoint them, that the Holy Spirit would guide them and empower them to really continue in exactly what God's Word is called. Uh, us too. And so would you extend a hand towards them if you're standing next to them right now? And let's just pray and let's just commission them in the work that God has for them to serve in this important role in 2017. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each one that's standing and I thank you for each one that has stood in years past, Lord God, to say yes to being your servant, Lord God, to serve you and to serve this house, Lord God. Thank you that you have spoken to them and led them, Lord God. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would anoint them for the task that is ahead of them, Lord God, this year that, Lord God, we would see your power work and move through this house, Lord God, and that we would see the needs of this body met and served, Lord God. Thank you for the way that you've gifted them, the deacons with administration and giftings that will come to bear, Lord God, to be a blessing to and through this house, Lord God. I thank you for the elders, that their wisdom, Lord God, and their tenderness and their care and their continued ministry unto the body, Lord. Thank you for raising them up from among the flock to serve the flock in this way, Lord God. So we pray right now your your hand upon them, your strength upon them, and Holy Spirit, your anointing upon them for what is ahead this year. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. Thank you again to each one that's serving and continues to serve the Lord in that way. I'm going to invite Pastor Rick to come forward at this time. And as we do that, I want to bring our attention to, again, that very idea of what it means to be that servant that Jesus calls us to. He said, if anyone wants to be great among you, he must be willing to be a servant. And when we see this, we don't just see that Jesus says these things. He models them in the way that he lives his life. There's always a continuity between what Jesus says and what he does. He follows it up with action. He follows it up by living out exactly what he said. And we see the example of this in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus is assembling with his disciples and they're coming around the table and they're actually preparing for that last supper where Jesus instituted communion. And before that, we get a glimpse in John chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and even into 17 what some of the discussion was like at that last supper and the things that, that were really taking part as they were preparing themselves and as Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross for us. And one of the first things that happened is that each person, as they came into that room, as each disciple showed up in that day and time, right by the doorway of that home, as you walked in, there would be a servant that would be waiting. And the servant would be waiting, and the servant would have something special with him. The servant, as he was waiting there, and as he was standing by the door, there would be a basin with some water nearby. And the servant would take that, and as he positioned it at the door, he would then allow them to, uh, their sandals to be undone. They would carry a lot of dirt and a lot of dust in their travels. And the servant would kneel down and would wash the feet of whoever it is that came. They would be honoring them because their status determines how they're going to be served. And so 
and wash their feet and take all that filth off their feet and put it onto their towel. Sometimes the servant would be girded around with a towel and would literally dry the feet of those that came in with the very towel, taking their filth off their feet and almost applying it to themselves. But in John chapter 13, as the disciples showed up, there was no servant there. There was a basin, there was water, there was a towel, there was the things that were necessary, but there was no servant there. This would have been odd. But they sat down, and you can see kind of the tenor of what's going on in Matthew 20. That's, that's what's permeating this area in this time. There's this idea, who's going to be first? Who's going to be greatest? Who's going to sit at his right hand? I, I'd imagine at that Last Supper, they're kind of figuring out who's going to sit closest to Jesus and, you know, how all these things are, are going to reflect on who's greatest and whose status is, you know, first among all the disciples. The Bible says in John chapter 13, verse 3, that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus, fully knowing that all authority, all power on heaven and on earth had been given to him and that he was soon going back to God. And the full realization from that, what does he do? He gets up and he lays aside his garments and he takes a towel and he girds himself with it. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he began to dry them with a towel that was girded around him. Jesus did this. And then as he went to some of his disciples, Peter in particular, Peter said, you know, you can't wash my feet. How? No, you cannot do that. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part in me. And then Jesus goes on and he's sharing more about what has just happened. He's showing them an example. And in verse 14, here's what he says. If I, then the Lord and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Jesus said, this is the example I've given to you, and you need to do this to one another. You need to serve one another as I have served you. He said, this is the heart you need to have. As we go forward in God's word, we see in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he says this. Paul saying, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, he was God in the flesh, people. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the image and likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took on the role of a servant, He humbled himself even to death on a cross. But it says this, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on heaven and on earth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what happens. Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death. But what the Bible say? But God rose him up 
and seated him at the highest place. He gave him honor and glory forever. The Bible says this, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here's what I'd say. God pushes down the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Those that have the heart of Jesus, those that live the way Jesus has called us to live. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the final verse there, as he closes out this conversation with his disciples about who's going to be greatest. He said, for even the Son of Man, even me, I came not to be served, but I came to serve others and to give my life, his life, as a ransom for many. He said, I'm going to serve you even to the point of death to pay a price for a debt that you owe, that I don't know, so that you could be set free. You see, there's a ransom. When a ransom is paid, it means someone has been taken and there's a price that must be paid for that person's freedom. Jesus said he served you in that way, that he humbled himself and gave up his life so that you could be set free from sin and from death and from anything that would hold you back. But it all comes through submission and sacrifice and serving. So we go back to the way the world says. Here's what it says. Your status determines how you will be served. But here's the way of the, of, of the kingdom. Here's the way, the greater than way of living. That your, how you serve others is ultimately what's going to determine your status. Jesus said, you know, it's not about this. Your status just determines how others serve you. How you serve others is going to determine your ultimate status in the kingdom of God. So here's what we need to know when it comes to greater than. Service is greater than status. Your service is greater than status. Don't focus on getting ahead. Don't focus on what other people see in you. Focus on the basin that's waiting for you. Because here's what I believe. There are places, there are doorways in your life. There are places that you walk by every single day. And I want to tell you that there are basins that are waiting there that you never have noticed before and you've walked right by them. There are basins that are waiting for you, some of you right in your homes, that God says, this is what I'm calling to you to. There is a, a greater moment that's waiting for you. There's a greater life that's waiting for you, but it starts with this, with you being willing to humble yourself and to serve. For some of you, as you walk into your homes, this is where Jesus is calling you to. There's a basin that's waiting there, and he's calling you to serve your children. He's calling you to serve your household. He's calling you to serve your husbands or your wives. He's calling you to serve your family. There's a basin that's waiting, and your eyes have been in other places, and you've missed it every single time. Others of you in your workplace, there's a basin that's waiting. In the middle of the rat race, there's a basin. Everyone else is looking to get ahead, and everyone is stepping right by it. But Jesus said, that's where I'm calling you to. This is greater than that. This is greater than the way that the world is living, the way that they're operating. You will get farther kneeling down than everyone else is trying to jump high and climb high. This is, this is the way. She said, whoever wants to become great, watch what happens. You want 2017 to be greater? Humble yourself. Become less. Kneel down and serve the way Jesus has called you to serve. Let his life and light shine through you. You know, we, as a church, we look to model this. And every other year in 2017 will be a year that we're going to be able to take part in this, that we take part in something called service for service. We give up. Even our Sunday morning, we go out into our community and serve our neighbors with the love of Christ. And last year, we weren't having that event, but we were praying, Lord, how can we serve our community and continue to be your hands and feet? And so we sensed the Lord leading us towards the 9-11 weekend. And we said, what would it look like to serve 
our first responders, people that serve everyone for a living? What would it look like to, to wash their feet? What would it look like to serve them and to do it with no other motive than just to, to shine Christ's love and light into their lives? And so on 9-11 weekend, we had a first responders gala. We gathered together and we were able to bless our first responders. I don't know if we have a picture of that here, but we were able to um, have over 200 police, fire, EMT, uh, and their spouses come together. Uh, we had someone that shared with them uh, about the Lord and about how God had rescued them from the towers. We were able to hear about God's love and our appreciation for what they do. And we knew that day that many seeds were planted. The following Sunday, some came, many gave their hearts to the Lord. But it was an expression of us serving, being Christ's hands and feet. What's amazing is that this morning I show up and before service begins, Pastor Ron comes to me and he said, Pastor Chris, I got to tell you that a couple just walked in and it's an officer and his wife and they, they were at that first responders gala. And they're here for the very first time. In our first service, I was able, he was sitting right here with his wife and we were able to share the celebration of just how God had worked this day together. And on a day I talk about that, that it would be his very first time back since all the way back in September when they were at that event. God works, amen? He's working. He's working in his heart, his family's heart. And I believe you're going to see them again. They said they're going to be back next week. They got a young child. But God's working. He uses moments like that when we're willing to serve to shine his light in amazing ways. So today, would you bow your heads and would you bow your hearts with me? And for some of you, if you have a relationship with Jesus and you may know God's already putting it in your heart, there's some areas. I'm just going to ask you to begin to pray. If you already know Jesus, begin to pray and ask this question, Lord, reveal to me even right now before I leave the sanctuary, where are those basins that I've been walking by? Is it in my work? Is it in my home? Where are those opportunities to be like you and to serve that I've been missing? But for others, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm talking to you for just a moment. Today, here's what you need to know, that God's great love for you is this, that he came and he served you by going to the cross for you. And today you don't have to carry around your shame and your guilt and the things that have scarred your past anymore. Today you can have a brand new beginning with God, but it requires you coming to him and acknowledging your need for him you taking a step of faith towards him. Today, if you know that you're not right with God, but today would be the day that you're ready to take that step, the greatest step of your life in accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, then I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. But before that, I need to know that you're here. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if today's the day that you say, Pastor, I am ready to put my faith in Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to say that prayer with you. If that's you, with no one looking around, just lift your hand right now, right above your head so that I know that you're here. If that's you, just lift your hand up right above your head. Amen. I see hands going up around the room. If there's anyone else, if that's you, lift your hand right above your head. I'm going to ask the ushers just to help me for just a moment. If that's you, just keep your hand lifted high above your head. Praise God. I see you in the back. Is there anyone else? Praise God. That's you. Just keep your hand lifted for just another moment. Amen. If you're watching online, just lift your hand right where you're at. Praise God. Hands have gone up around the room. I'm going to say a prayer right now, and I'm going to invite you to say the words of this prayer with me. And There's nothing magical about these words, but it's about you making a decision in your heart to put Jesus first and ask him to forgive you of your sins. So that's you, and you raised your hand today. 
then I'm going to invite you to say these words with me. And we can all say them if we'd like, as it's an act of recommitment to the Lord. But pray with me this. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. I ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you for the new life that you have for me. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person that has made the greatest decision of their lives, that, Lord God, you would show up in their lives and you'd make your presence known to them, that, Lord God, you would help them to walk in all the plans and purposes that you have for them. May nothing hold them back for the new life that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate together the decision that was just made? Amen and amen. Praise God. So thankful that you made that decision. If you haven't already, if you raised your hand and you haven't already received this, one of our ushers should have handed you a card. It's called a decision card. It's to help you now that you've made that great decision to follow Jesus. So if you would just take a moment before you leave today, fill out that decision card and drop it off at our welcome center on your way out. There's going to be someone there waiting for you. They're going to give you a, a special uh, book, a Bible, and some help as you get started with your relationship with God. We'd love to celebrate with you, to pray with you. Please don't leave without letting someone know that you just made the greatest decision of your life. Amen. Man, church, would you stand with me today? I'm going to close with a verse of scripture before we go into a time of, of uh, just continued worship and close out our time together. As I read this, our altar workers, you can come forward and prepare yourselves at the end here. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And Pastor Rick and I were just talking about this after service. It says, Those who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. We need to serve them. Not just do what's most convenient for us. Look at verse 2 as it goes on. Strength is for service, not for status. Each one needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking, how can I help? And that's the question that each one of us need to ask. Lord, where is this basin waiting for me? Where is it that I've been passing by? For some of you, 2017 is going to be a year that God's calling you to get involved, get more involved in ministry, start serving here. As a part of our church, there are many opportunities you're going to hear about in the weeks to come. For others, you're called to serve in your home. You're called to serve in your job. There are places that the basin has been set before you, but your eyes every other year have been looking in the wrong place. Look there. Say, Lord, how can I serve? And as we do that, as God identifies those ways, watch. Watch how he begins to work in your life. And watch how it truly is seen that service is greater than status. God will lift you up. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for your word today. Lord, I pray it comes alive in our hearts, Lord God. I pray that we're not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. So, Lord, come and meet us today, we pray, Lord God. Lord, help us, Lord God, to apply what we've heard and help us, Lord God, to find those places of service that are all around us, Lord God. They're waiting for us, Lord God, to step out. So, Lord God, we surrender to you this new year, Lord God, and we thank you for your goodness. Holy Spirit, lead us now, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.